Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Thursday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug, it's Nathan, it's Steven, and it's rapid fire, but really we're just twisting rants. So you guys listen to the Wednesday pod where we get rants and takes from our tech subscribers. There are so many good ones. I did not do a separate Q&A rapid fire call out, but we're going to take some of those rants and turn them into questions that Nathan and Steven and I will answer together. And we're going to start, Nathan, which with going back to a podcast we did I don't even know when this was more than a year ago. I think when we, when we declared the 2023 Ohio state football team, the greatest college football team of all time. And some people are questioning that, which is reasonable from the six one four. I'm worried that if Ohio state cannot win a championship with this exact team, it's hard envisioning them ever winning one in the next two or three years, this collection of talent with a proven quarterback seems hard to ever match moving forward. You used to talk up 2023 as being some sort of super team, but with the lack of offensive line depth looming large next year, this feels like Ohio State's best shot. I don't know. Ohio State will continue recruiting well. This just feels like a team where everything is coming together. Nathan, is this right now with the Heisman Trophy favorite at quarterback? Is this the super team? Not next year. Very possible. But I think we've framed it that way from the beginning, because anytime you're talking about, well, next year, this team could be amazing. You have to remember that that team, that amazing team will more or less be intact, but also have some even better players or some some important players that wouldn't be there in 2023 will be here at the end of this season. And the, the, the development and progression that happens over the course of a season. I mean, we, we just look at Ohio State history. It's 2014. That's what we've said all along that you could pinpoint and look ahead and say, boy, 2015 looks like they're going to be loaded, but they got there at the end of 2014. And I think that's still very much on the table for this team. It's, it's, it showed up in the results. I think it showed up, though, in the expectations that everyone, there's a reason they were ranked number two in the country and have been ranked two or three this whole time. Like people see them as one of those elite teams already. So I, I hear what the texter is saying. I think it especially relates to that proven quarterback element, right? that no matter what you think of the rest of the roster next year and how much proven or potentially proven people there are on that roster, all over the defense, skill players on offense, whatever. I can understand if you're a fan and observer, you look at this and you say, but it's hard for me to take out what I know about CJ Stroud and put in what I hope is true about Kyle McCord. I think that's completely a fair way to look at it. And I think if you do look at it that way, I understand why you think 2022 is the better shot. When we had the original 2023 discussion, it was a Quinn Ewers discussion. It was not a Kyle McCord is going to be a Heisman candidate in 2023. It doesn't mean Kyle McCord can't be a Heisman candidate in 2023, but that was a Ewers fueled discussion. And that is no longer the case. Steven, are we staring at it right now? I titled, I grab all these rants and questions and then I, I put them in a file and I renamed them for a shorthand. I renamed this one, Stephen, when now or else. Is that where we are with 2022? I don't know if the or else is the other part, but I understand the sentiment. 
I think a lot of times we just forget Kyle McCord's a five-star quarterback, and it's because they had a perfectly rated quarterback in here, and so we kind of dismissed that. He was still a ridiculously talented, talented dude. I think it's more now knowing what we know about this team and what we also know about they, – they, they brought it up in the question, the, the rant, excuse me, the offensive line. Oh, there are questions now. There are questions now. Okay, we, we twist them. They come in it's as fine. rants, and then we put them Is through a questions? grinder. It's a question there's grinder. Now it's ah, magically it's a rapid-fire question. Yeah. The patented Buckeye talk questionizer. Yeah, I like that. Okay, yeah, so they brought it up, the offensive line. Paris Johnson has looked very good these first three weeks, and DeWan's definitely not coming back. So, I mean, who are their tackles? So the offense might be great. Marvin Harrison Jr. will be back. Emeka Abuka will be back. It's looking like Julian Fleming's probably back next year. Uh, you're getting a freshman class of wide receivers with a guy like Brandon Ennis, who I think could be a day one contributor to this team. The uh, Travion Henderson will be in year three, along with probably Mayan Williams coming back. The, the skill position is fine, but none of that matters if Kyle McCord is laying on his back, as we saw against Michigan last year with Ohio State. I think for Ohio State, the, the defensive side of the ball in 2023, we can get really super excited about maybe that's a super team, just because that's who we're talking about here when we're talking about all these third-year players. is Jack Sawyer, uh, Jordan Hancock, JT Tuima Lowell, and Mike Hall, and such and such. But I do think from a sense of like a complete team, this is your best shot at it. So I did do this on the rants. I think a part of the factor for, I think the defense will be better next year. Certainly can be with, with the third year guys that you said, but I also am anticipating an infusion of Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks. Yeah. And I think can elevate the playmaking at linebacker and at safety. And I think that can matter. And, and to anticipate, man, we're putting a lot on Jordan Hancock. We're putting a lot of Jordan Hancock on like, is he going to play in October? And now we're also being like, well, wait till Jordan Hancock's in the year three. He's like never played a snap that mattered at corner practically. So Marshall, but I, more. Marshall, I, I do think yeah. like, you know, you, you put some on that, but the corners aren't playing great at the moment, which again, we, we're writing about, we're talking about. I do think my anticipation is defense better next year. And the reason that now you would, the reason, Nathan, we would pull back from the original 2020 super, super team discussion is it's not Quinn Ewers, it's Kyle McCord. And that is you're moving from a one five star to another five star. But I think it's minorly something. And even then, even when we did the super team discussion, we were talking about the tackles and they're just not going to be here. And I don't know that they can be a super team with Josh Fryer and Zed Mahalski as their starting tackles. Now is Donovan Jackson going to start a tackle. I don't know. We've thrown that out there. They're going to get a guy in the portal. I don't know. But to me, it is a better defense versus no CJ, no tackles. And then as you balance that, which team do you think is better? I, I don't know, but it is, it is close. It's not like, Oh, wait till next year. It's well, maybe it is now. Yeah. And, and maybe it won't end up even being quite a super team like we thought originally, but it could be some version that it could be, it would be more the Georgia 2021 model than the, what we were mm-hmm. thinking of originally. It would be more of a defense led. It would be more like 2019 Ohio state, frankly. Now that's a, uh, I want want to make sure that I'm not discounting what that team was offensively because you obviously had Justin Fields. You had J.K. Dobbins out there running crazy, but you're still going to have Trevian Henderson there. You won't have the same kind of quarterback in common cord, but I still think that that offense, it could just be a little bit of a flip of the balance of what wins you games. And if just looking at like what the defensive line is going to be next year, it's going to be two MLO out Sawyer Hall, Williams, Hamilton, and Curry. Like that's right there. I just named you like six guys that we think could be like upper echelon big 10 players. Plus then you start sprinkling in your Abors and your Jacksons and your hero canoes. Like that, that defensive line next year could be kind of insane. And then you're backing that up with guys that you're sprinkling in there with CJ Hicks and Sonny styles, but it's not like there aren't going to be a ton of veteran guys still on the back seven of this defense coming back with the the two linebackers that are starting right now. Plus Cody Simon plus um, Lathan Ransom, Lathan Ransom and court Williams and Cam Martinez and on and on. And like, but, but, but we are having it. Like I want elevated talent to back at them. It's like, again, I get it. I get those yeah, guys I, back, no, yeah, yeah, I, right, I want right. the infusion of five-star talent. But I think it's important that this team wouldn't be relying solely on boom bust with those young guys, that there's still going to be a higher floor at, on the back end of this defense. 
Yeah, but they're not going to be a super team next year if like they can't get CJ Hicks on the field. If it's like, well, you know what? Hey, Cody Simon is it? I mean, I come on, get CJ Hicks on if the field. If CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles aren't leading in snaps at their respective positions, we're going to be going. What's it's going to so, be the Baron I mean, Browning thing of like, what's going on here? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like that because it because you have a baseline right now well, that the defense is playing well, but I want the next level. And the difference is Sonny Styles and CJ Hicks are here right now, but they're young. They're true freshmen. Mm-hmm. And Sonny Style should be in high school. You're not expecting that, right? But next year, you can absolutely expect it. And I expect that they will be better than some of the older guys that might be back because I think that's what's inside of them. So I don't know if the tackles can be better. So it, it is a quarterback it, conversation. Yeah. It is in college. It is hard. It is an odd thing where the most important position in sports changes every two years at all the major programs and you it which means you're on a two-year cycle with these guys unless you're playing them as a true freshman as a quarterback and if you're doing that then you're really unsure going in well even no no matter how good that guy is he's a true freshman but normally it's like learn as a true freshman play as a sophomore in year two when it's like well you know cj stroud didn't even throw a pass his first year how good's he gonna be right away and then by the end of that year he's really good and then in the third year, it's like, this guy understands. This guy is like a coach on the field. He's got it all. And then he's gone. And then you restart the cycle of Kyle McCord. So this is what kind of you guys, it's like, Stephen, how can we sit here? I guess I was, this was part of the Quinn fire in my belly, right? When we it had was this the discussion. summertime and it was more yeah. of a recruiting discussion. And when you're having more of a recruiting discussion, it's easier to just go, oh, five star here, five star here, five star here, instead of like, and now we're in football season mode, so we're thinking about it more from a on-the-field yeah, product standpoint. that's true. Which is why, now that I'm in this mode, I can say, Quinn Ewers, yeah, but I've said it before, Kyle McCord could have a Dwayne Haskins year next year as he a one-year, third-year-in-the-program guy who, even if he hasn't been playing, he's been in the program long enough that he gets it. And he has a start under his belt already. Definitely possible. Definitely possible. It's like, oh, no, who are they going to play a quarterback? I don't know, the five-star guy who's been learning for two years? That like, guy? Alabama did it with Mac Jones, and he was not a five-star. But, I mean, like, like yeah. everybody does it with everybody, right? I mean, like, yeah. that's like, oh, the five-star who hasn't started yet? What else could you possibly want? Yeah. Because every program, every couple of years, has a guy who's never started as a new starting quarterback. And what do you want him to be? I don't know, a five-star? So, but it's hard to get away from the – boy, is C.J. Stroud comforting right now. Holy moly. He just, he just, he just soothes everything. Like we're, talk, we're talking about CJ moving around in the pocket and buying time. That's like the theme of the last couple of weeks. I don't know if Kyle does that as much. So, and he's not going to have Paris Johnson protecting his backside and Dewan Jones protecting his front side. So, and, and we just don't know what we don't know about Kyle. CJ's brain is a computer. I don't know if Kyle's is, maybe it is, but not everybody's is. Kyle sure can sling it, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of great attributes about Kyle McCord. And Ryan Day went and plucked him out of all these different guys. By the way, I'm all fired about J.J. McCarthy, the guy that Ryan Day said, hey, I like you, but I like Kyle McCord better. So the idea of like, well, I don't know if Ohio State's going to have a quarterback there. I'm all fired up because Jim Harbaugh went to J.J. now. He's the same year as Kyle McCord. Like, so, I mean, I get it, but it is, I think that's a really good point, Stephen. It's the difference between an off-season conversation and an in-season conversation. But when we had the conversation, we didn't know how good C.J. Stroud was going to be. And Quinn Ewers was the greatest quarterback recruit in the history of recruiting. So that is what drove that conversation. And now that's absolutely flipped. And so does this year feel like the year? I mean, it sure might. But also, is there going to be any any other team in the country that next year is going to bring back three skill guys? like Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mekak Buka and Travion Henderson. Nathan, like, again, that is a right. that is an incredible place to start with the defense that I think we all agree will be better. You just have to block and make sure the quarterback's ready. Yeah, and then on top of that, I mean, you're still going to be talking about, as much as we have some concerns about the tackles, it's not like the rest of the offensive line is just is nothing um, with what Donovan Jackson is, what Luke Whipler is, is proven to be right. with some of the other guys that they've, you know, I think it's important that you've seen guys like Tegra Shabola step up and be that number two guard this yep. year. And you still have someone like Enoch Vamahi in the program. So you'd have either like the veteran option or the young promising. Like, so there's even some good things on the offensive line. But when we did that exercise about that 2023 team, that 
the tackle situation did hit us in the face like a frying pan, which means it had already hit Ryan Day in the face before that, which is why they have a different offensive line coach now. And we were like, oh, Zach Rice, all good. Where did Zach Rice go? Where is North he? North Carolina. He's at North Carolina. So, so that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't work. Uh, it really, really might have a portal tackle next year. They really might have a portal tackle next year. I don't know who Justin Fry knows, but that could be where they go. Quick break. When we come back, a couple more things. You know, not super rapid. What's the medium rapid? Normal. Medium. Normal. Yeah, normal. Speed. Normal fire. <laughs> Welcome back to normal fire. It's not particularly hot. Hot enough. Lukewarm. Right. Lukewarm. Welcome back to lukewarm fire and Buckeye talk after this. Doug Lamarie is back with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. Hey, don't you want to be able to ask rants that we put in the questionizer? You can do it by being a tech subscriber at 614-350-3315. It's a two-week free trial if you send it there. So this is this is one of those. Here's my rant, Doug. I'm going to cross out rant and put question from the 803. We saw so many different looks on offense with the Toledo game. Why were we, are we so apprehensive on doing some of this? Um, running the fullback, throwing to the tight end, running eye formation. I'm not saying make it a higher percentage of the offense, but throw those little bits and bobs in there a little more in most games to make other defenses plan for it. Our tight ends being capable receivers is something else the opposing defense has to think about. Mitch Rossi just destroyed a dude running up the gut. To me, it just opens up everything else. Just my thoughts. That's Tom in the South. So I did um, this interesting conversation i think this week nathan because everybody talks about a wisconsin identity i asked ryan day about what's the balance of you want to have an identity but you also don't want to you want to break tendencies sometimes this i formation i think is an interesting example and ryan day is, was clearly talking about on tuesday as sort of like you know we just kind of you know want to do some other stuff so do you think it is important Nathan, for this Ohio State offense, the way the texter is ranting slash asking about it, important for them to throw some different looks in the mix when they're playing a capable opponent. That's the part that I think is is the tricky part. It is how much do you want to, for lack of a better term, mess around when you're playing a more talent-equated opponent and the game is in the balance. Or how much do you would you rather spend that snap doing the thing that you do the best and have practiced the most and have the highest level of executing? That's where I get a little bit. I think it's interesting that they did all that stuff against Toledo. And I don't think it's coincidental that they did it against Toledo. But I don't think that means it's more likely that they'll do it against Wisconsin. I think some of it is putting it on film. I think some of it is getting real game reps with something that you want to have in your back pocket. And, but I also think that some of this stuff is, you know, yes, they lined up in I formation to do some goal line, like running backs, running game stuff. You don't see them really deviating, doing too much funky stuff in the past game. So, because again, they, they know what their identity is. They know what their, um, they know they have a high baseline of success, just being who they are in the passing game. And in the, in the ground game, sometimes you're looking for certain advantages personnel wise getting bigger guys on the field, that sort of thing. So I, 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 w- I would just say, I think that they did it in the right way. Like have it in your back pocket, put it on the field in a game like Toledo, but don't put it in for the sake of doing it against Wisconsin, a game that c- could be as a much greater um, potential to go the wrong way. If you screw around too much. I wouldn't necessarily say they have, you know, gotten a little, interesting in the passing game like the under center stuff is still three years old here that's not like something that has been habitually a part of the ohio state program the last decade or so yeah, but that's not like a gimmick it's no i don't think any of this is no it's I, not none of the i formation none of it is yeah. gimmick it's not trick plays this is all like they said they've been working on that stuff and even they kind of point out the fact that we're not just going to do it just to run this one play that's what makes it a gimmick if you line up like this and then you only do one thing out of it they want to be able to do pretty much anything you can think of out of the eye formation, especially in the red zone. So it's, I don't think it's gimmicky. I like that they're putting a lot of this stuff on film and they're using a lot of this stuff. I'll use the defense as an example. We talked about in the past how the defense was really stagnant and kind of you are what you are. Let's see if we can out talent guys. And when that stopped working, we saw Joe Moorhead just pick Kerry Combs part against Oregon. And we saw other teams pick 
pick this defense apart because it was a you are what you are identity type of defense for the couple of years. Now you bring Jim Knowles in here, who is bringing a lot of different stuff to the table. None of it's gimmicky. It's just giving other coordinate the opposing coordinators something else to look at. And I like that day is doing that because. Yeah, there's plenty of games where they can just go out there and be like, hey, Marvin, hey, Jackson, hey, Emeka, hey, Julian, just go beat your man off the line of scrimmage, and that's what we'll do all game, and then we'll run inside-outside zone when that stops working. Except when that stuff stops working, you get the Michigan game. So you got to mix it up a little bit, especially when you're playing teams who, even if they're not equally as talented, they're talented enough to at least keep up with you. So you do have to scheme up other stuff. So I like it. Yeah, I guess my point is, like, if you're going to run – like, what does an opposing defense in the Big Ten have a better chance to match up against against Ohio State? Like, it's usual offense or this I formation thing that oh, puts in like the red Mitch zone, Rossi and G Scott on the field in the red zone. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe they have a better chance of just trying to double cover the most important receivers. I don't know. I mean, the I formation, Ryan Day was talking. Tim May was all excited about the I formation. I mean, it's not one. They don't just do one thing. They scored on a Mecca Buka jet sweep out of the I formation, right? And they're going to be willing to throw to Cade Stover and Mitch Rossi mm-hmm. out of the I formation. They handed the ball to the fullback out of the I formation. So even in that look, they want to be able to do six or different six or seven different things out of that formation. I think... Because they, at times, right, we've had red zone discussions with this offense. And when you don't have a running quarterback, it's like, what, what can you do in the red zone? Because when the field tightens up and your safeties are, you know, there's not as much ground to cover. Now safeties can help on the receivers more. What are you going to do? And I think I formation is a little bit of an answer to the, we don't have a running quarterback, but now here's our multiple thing. What's our multiple thing? Not zone read. It's, are we going to hand it to Mitch Rossi? Is Mitch Rossi going to block? Is Mitch Rossi going to go out in a route? Is Cade Stover going to block and crush a guy? Is Cade Stover going to go out in a route? Are we going to hand it to a Mecca on a little jet sweep? Are we going to hand it to Travion? Are we going to flip it to Travion? Like, I think that's where they're trying to be multiple in the run game when things get tight. And I don't think they felt like they could do that in their normal formations with their normal personnel. Because at times... They haven't been great at that. So I think that's what Ryan Day is saying. They're like, you know, because part of this is, again, and I think there was even a, a different question about putting stuff on film that we can talk about in future weeks. This is not, Nathan, like, hey, let's give Wisconsin something to think about. I think this is, this is we think this might be our best chance to get two yards in the mm-hmm. red zone. And so we're going to try to do this. Yeah, it, it is also, though, an extension of like last year they, they were doing three tight end formations when they were in goal line packages i mean it's it's not a huge departure from that so it's it's more just a, 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 a i thought when i as i watch it just sort of a small evolution um but it, because it lines up in a way that uh has some like i don't know is almost like the historic value of it that i think gets people like tim may and the rest of us excited when we see that i, I will say though that i formation look so when they put three tight ends in the game on the goal line so now you have eight offensive linemen, CJ's nine, the running back's 10, and maybe there's just one X receiver hanging out, right? Well, on the single outside. wing, yeah. There's only one guy you can hand it to there. Because unless you're going to sneak CJ, you're not really going to run him. Right. They have created an I-formation situation, and maybe handing it to Mitch Rossi was putting it on film, and maybe handing it to Emeka, maybe that part of it was putting it on film. They have established an I-formation that they have three people who can run it. Which is, which again, when you have the quarterback run threat, you have two people who can run it, Stephen. I think mm-hmm. that's part of it because no matter how tough and physical you are, hey, Josh Fryer, put on 41 and go be a tight end, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, Cade Stover, you're a linebacker at tight end. Hey, we love our offensive line. If they have 10 guys in the box, you still might lose that battle. But if all of a sudden Mitch Rossi, what? Mitch Rossi has the ball. What? Now yeah. Emeka's going wide. The three-run option out of that look, I think, maybe is what we're keying in on here. And that's not to trick anybody. That's to give them options because they don't have it because they don't want to run CJ. And that's the part where it's like maybe you gave Wisconsin some stuff to think about is the fact that you had success scoring on three different ways with that. But they also, like, did some QB sneak stuff. I don't remember if it was. No, we have a we have a third down thing coming up. We're going to talk about QB sneaks. Okay, cool. I'll wait on that then. But, yeah, the the fact that they did 
all that stuff goes back into what Ryan Day said, the fact that I'm not we're not just doing formations just to do formations. We want to be able to do multiple things. So now, you know, Jim Leonard has to think about that when they get into the red zone of, Oh, is, is, is Amaka going to get the ball? Cause he's down there tight. Is, is Mitch Rossi going to get the ball? Are they going to fake it? And then, then throw it to Kate Stover over the top, or are they going to throw it to Mitch Rossi like they did against Rutgers? It's all these things that have to go through Jim Leonard's head now, all because it's all on film. That's the part that like is Wisconsin has to think about. Not the fact that they just did I formation for the sake of doing it. I think we were looking at it. And they had Cade Stover and G. Scott in the game as tight ends. They had Josh Fryer in the game as a third tight end. They had Mitch Rossi in at fullback. And we were sort of saying, why is Emeka Buka hanging out there as lined up like an inline tight end as a receiver? Why is he? Oh, it's a jet sweep. Oh, because of that. That. Because like Georgia runs jet sweeps for Brock Bowers. I don't know that we're ever going to see a jet sweep for Cade Stover. I think, I think that's their tight end jet sweep is just put. But they, there. they put the number one receiver recruit in. The, yeah. It's like when the, it's like when Jim Trussell lined up Ted Ginn Jr. at tight end and ran him down the seam and Troy Smith yeah. did it for a touchdown against Michigan. It's like, that's a skinny little fast tight. Oh, it's Ted Ginn Jr. at tight end. Oh, what an interesting number two. To, oh, it's a Mecca book at tight. Well, he's, he's in the end zone now. So, um, yeah, I think I think there was some forethought to that. That's, again, Ryan Day, the doodler. I'm I'm imagining like Ryan Day with his stack of napkins at lunch being like, well, what if we put in Mitch Rossi and that? And so that's how you get that. All right. I, I promise this on the ramp pod and we're not going to do it because it's still too good. We're going to save it for next week on one of these because next week's Rutgers week. Snake bit Ohio State superstar seasons, which is a oh, Jackson God. Smith and Jigba question. I love the question too much. So we're going to go here to this one. It's about Jackson Smith and Jigba from the 937. It's Steven in Columbus. Is this you? It is not. I've had a 614 area code since I was 13. Okay, it's not uh, so Hello, you. other Steven. I have been screaming all year that Jackson Smith and Jigba will be the focus of opposing defenses, and therefore he won't get the ball quite as much, and it would leave the other studs on the offense wide open. He finally gets it, and everyone is like, oh, it seems like he's more of a decoy. Almost like that's exactly what happened last year with him getting all the catches while Alave and Wilson were on the team. Steven. Is this me? I know. It's like one of these things. Like, I, I is this, is this like Jackson said this at some point? Jackson had like 28 snaps last week, but was not really super involved in getting the ball. Is this just like, yep, this is how it works? Is this how you envisioned it? Is this what we're going to see? I thought there would be a couple games like this. And that's that, I think this was my argument against the 2000. There would be a couple of games where it's a team's just going to sell out on. I, I we can't let Jackson beat us. That's just too simple. And it opened up everything for everybody else. And they use Jackson in that way. They use Jackson as a decoy at times to get other guys open. Now, there's also going to be some games where Jackson Smith, the Jigba has 12 catches for 187 yards and two touchdowns. And maybe that happens against Wisconsin this week. But against Toledo, that wasn't the case. Now, what aided in that was probably. Jackson was probably 99.9% in this game. And so you wanted to get him out there, but he also only played what like a quarter. So while he was out there, you use him as a threat, even if you're not getting him the ball. But yeah, this, what happened against Toledo was my exact reasoning for why he's not going to get 2000 without the injury, just because at some point somebody was going to try to take him away the same way we saw with Chris Olave at times last year. What do you think of the word decoy and Jackson Smith and Jigba, Nathan? Do you think this is a, plan of the Ohio State offense at times. I don't like the term decoy. I think it is more just a case that a that great players require great attention from the opponent. So it, it's not a it's not as if you're using them intentionally as a decoy, but I think you do intentionally play off of the attention that they get. Yeah, I have a hard time with this because I mean, to be fair, Stephen, you also wrote a story comparing Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup to C.J. Stroud and Jackson, which is like, hey, you guys have a great relationship. You can find a way to get open. You're connected. Even if the coverage is there, you're going to find a way. And that's not two mutually exclusive lines of thought because both can be true. Again, game to game, opponent to opponent, depending how a defense is playing you. I... Just want him to be himself. I just want to see the real Jackson Smith and Jigba. I don't think last week was it. And so 
the way he can be explosive, and Ryan Day has kind of said this, that explosiveness in the middle of the field that turns little nine-yard routes into 60-yard gains is just different. And there's a way that, you know, and this is what you talked about this too, Stephen. This is, oh, they had Jackson in the backfield one play last week, at least once, right? Like, hey, well, we're not just going to line up in the slot and be like, oh, well, they double teamed him. They're going to move him around the formation. They're going to try to do things specifically to free him up because once he gets the ball in his hands, he's like a bottle rocket. So I, I am, I don't know what to think about this because clearly Emeka and Marvin have been very good the last couple of weeks. So I don't, do you have a handle on it, Steven? Or actually, do you think that there's not a handle to get because you think it could be so different week to week? Yeah, I, I think it might be different week to week, but also, they started doing the creative stuff with Jackson against Notre Dame. And then he got hurt. Like they ran that ran him around the quarterback and the wide receiver and then threw him a, 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 a screen pass like they did in the, in the, in the Rose bowl. So they were doing that. He just got hurt. So it's hard to get a handle and say what exactly it's going to look like when he didn't play the last two weeks, basically. And it allowed Marvin and Emeka to basically grow into these roles where now they're studs at yeah. this point. So I think, Wisconsin is going to be really the first time where this offense is at full strength and you have Jackson for a full 60 minutes. And so let's see what it looks like. All right, let's talk Will Linebackers. This is from Anthony and Finley in the 567. He says that the first team Will Will Linebacker spot should not be a timeshare. He does not see a logical reason that Cody Simon is taking away meaningful snaps from Steel Chambers. I don't know why Chambers doesn't have a role more similar to Tommy Eichenberg, where he almost never comes off the field. In my opinion, there isn't anything that Simon brings to the table that Steele doesn't already have. Uh, to this point, they played a combined 185 snaps, 101 to Simon, 84 to Chambers. In my opinion, Chambers should get about 70% of the snaps. So it should be more like 130 Chambers to 55 Simon, when again, it's one-on-one Simon to 84 Chambers. Nathan, what what do you make of this? And again, I think we we are a little surprised at how this is shaken out. Um, what do you think of the state of the Steel Chambers, Cody Simon timeshare? Yeah, it wasn't what we were expecting coming into the season. Jim Knowles was asked about this, I believe, going into last week, and characterized it as just being a thing that part of the reason why we weren't expecting it is because they weren't talking about. Uh, Simon the same way they talked about Chambers but he didn't get to watch Simon in the springs Simon was still coming off of that shoulder surgery and by the time you know the preseason came around I think he the way he phrased it was I hope that he would prove that he belonged on the field and he did so this I guess I would characterize it what I'm seeing now is a little bit like what I think you have talked about in the past with the cornerback rotations under Kerry Combs when he was here as the cornerbacks coach, where the concept is that by using both of those guys and rolling them somewhat consistently, you're getting the most out of both of them. Yeah. But they're because getting... I don't think we also think we also don't think, and maybe this is where we stray from the textures here. I think we appreciate Steel Chambers as a linebacker, but I don't know that we think of him as being like a great linebacker, like a elevated linebacker, right? So by maybe getting by 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 keeping both those guys fresh, and we, I don't think we think that of Cody Simon necessarily either at this stage. So by keeping both those guys fresh, are you getting more, getting better will linebacker play out of those two guys split than you are with just having one guy on the field the majority of the time? But as the text rest, are you a little bit surprised that if it's going to lean one way, it's leaned Simon instead of Chambers in total snaps so far? <sighs> Yeah, but it's also, I mean, they, they've had two blowout games. Simon is a guy that probably needed more reps in some ways to get back to where they wanted to be. So I don't know how much to read into that at this point. When, when, you, get, when you get lopsided games in the data, that it, it makes it a little bit hard. So just looking at PFF grades, take them for what they are, obviously. Through three games, Cody Simon is the highest graded defensive player of anyone who has at least 100 snaps. He's at 76.4. Steel Chambers is at 65, his grade is 65. And then like his rush defense tackling grades are like a lot lower than Cody Simon. And I actually asked Jim Knowles about like why they're, what they like about splitting that position. He said, Steel is athletic. 
That's all he pretty much said about Steele. And then he went, Cody is a good physical presence. Cody has a very stable mindset that I think the rest of the team picks up more. He can handle calls, checks, and brings that presence to the defense. I like the fact that he's in the mix and we got three guys really who can play that right there. I think part of that is like the mind thing. Cody was a Mike linebacker last year. Yeah. So if he's out there making calls and checks, and as Nathan is saying, they're using Tommy Eichenberg as a legit weapon. You probably need another guy who can handle some of that calls and stuff as well. And it seems like Cody Simon is better at a lot of that stuff. While there is an element the steel chambers, as Kerry Combs said last year, he just kind of sees and goes and tries to make plays. And when they work, they work. And when they don't, they don't. Steel chambers was a breath of fresh air for a linebacker room that needed it last year. I, I think we at times talked about this, that if, if you think like that's, that's the best linebacker that Ohio state can put on the field. Uh, maybe you're not quite where you want to be. So that's not a, a shot at anybody. It's just the guy, the guy's a, like a running back who still is fairly new to the position. So I think that makes a lot of sense. They're maybe just both holding the spot for CJ Hicks in 2023. But like, I, I don't, I understand why people sort of got excited about steel chambers last year, but I also don't think it's an outrage for him to be maybe in a timeshare or on the backside even of a timeshare in this situation. And I don't know, listen, I'm not going to pretend that I have gone through and rewatch games with this in mind. That tackling grade is again, it's PFF, whatever the tackling grade is not very good. Nathan, when you were watching and, and again, just like he's a guy who played running back. He hasn't played the position that long. He is very athletic. He's kind of a, I'm going to go make a play guy. Did you notice at all with Steel Chambers like a guy who was maybe one of the guys leaving his feet trying to make plays against Daquan Finn and not quite doing it? I don't know. There were a couple of instances of that against Finn, but it, it, it's, it's against Finn. So I haven't – when I've watched games this year, it's not like him missing tackles has jumped out at me by any stretch. So I, the one thing I also would caution people with is don't – when you're bringing forward – stuff from last year as far as your evaluation of Cody Simon remember he played through that shoulder all season and I think that probably compromised a little bit what he put on the field last year I think that could be a better version of him this year simply by just being healthier yeah okay it's something to watch it is something to watch um let's do this one this is from the 512 more of an observation than a rant this Saturday was the first time in a long time that the team looked like it was having fun Given the talk on the pod about the difference between Urban Meyer and Ryan Day, I assume this is more what Day is looking for in his team. The transfer portal and NIL has changed the way coaches can approach players so much. The coaches have to find some way to make them want to come to the school and stay once they do arrive. Helping them remember that football is actually fun could be a big sale, assuming you actually win, of course. Winning is fun, too, from the 5-1-2. Nathan, what do you think of that idea? I think for all of us, it can be very easy to lose sight of football is supposed to be fun. When they were stinking it up on defense in 2018, they made a huge deal one week of, hey, look, we had fun at practice today. And it was like Greg Shiano was like, I'm making everybody have fun. Uh, have fun. How important is fun? Do you, do you, would you imagine, Nathan, do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you think they're having fun? Well, I think – at their level, fun is not just winning. I think fun is knowing that you're winning the way you're supposed to. And I think that definitely happened this past Saturday. I think it happened more against Toledo than it did against Arkansas State. From talking to those players after the game, you knew that they came out of that game not happy with penalties, not happy with some of the other things that happened in that game. And this past week, even though, again, there were some big plays on defense, I think you just saw a team sort of, not that they're, reveling like beating up on somebody but relishing the um realizing their potential uh, in a in a big way i think that's what the the fun comes from because we've seen this team win games before and when you have to grind it out i'm thinking like last year back to the nebraska game and i know garrett wilson was missing and stuff but like i don't know how much they enjoyed wins like that you you there's i don't know that you can if, if it's a win where you come out of it relieved there's not a lot of fun there probably and i think they're coming out of this you know, this past week with not relief like knowing that they had that from the beginning and proving it 
Stephen, how much do you think social media factors into all this these days? I think as, as we record this on Wednesday afternoon, I think Joe Burrow, Bengals quarterback, former Buckeye, Heisman winner, number one draft pick, said like he was going to delete Twitter and Instagram off his phone because I think some people are, I don't know. The Bengals started 0-2, right? So that's when you everyone gets rid of the social media. Is part of the fun that they know that like they're not going to be criticized on Twitter. And when they go search their name, which they all do, they're going to find happy, nice things. I, I wonder sometimes, because again, I, I gave a big explanation on the rant pod about just CJ's personality and the way he kind of lets us all go on the ride for him, but he clearly has battled that at times. And I think as good as he is, sometimes he gets stuck on, Maybe there was 10% you could have done better. And there are some people criticizing you for that. And it's like, it's okay. Let go of that. Do you think that's any factor of the fun equation, Steven? CJ Stroud was looking at his, he searched his name on Twitter at halftime of the Minnesota game last year and was seeing all the negative stuff people say. About, and he's not the only person who does stuff like that. That's we're human beings. Nobody wants to hear people talk bad about them. You know, everybody, but everybody is, is quick to promote when people say good things about him. That's just how the world works. We're, that's how human beings work. So I, I do think it does. Even LeBron James, he gets in the playoff and zero dark 30, he deletes Instagram and Twitter and all those social media apps off of his phone. And so, yes, I think Denzel Burke's probably dealing with it right now, where there's probably some part of him where when he gives up a play like he did against Toledo or he gives up the plays like he did against Arkansas State or, or um, Notre Dame, where it's like, they're probably killing me on social media right now. They're probably killing me on social media right now. And these are still 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. So yeah, I do think it plays a component. Now, how much it plays a component is whether or not you can bounce back from some of that stuff. But yes, I'm pretty sure most of these players are probably checking their Twitters at halftime or after the game to see what people are saying about them, whether it's good or bad. But you both, do you think it's a happy team right now in general? You think this is a happy team? I do, because, again, a year ago at this time, all the uncertainty, all of the um, the blame that was kind of bouncing around within there, and that's going to happen, I guess, anytime you lose a game and they haven't lost a game this year. But I think you're just seeing a team that is more sure of itself, a team that like feels like it knows what its identity is, both sides of the ball, and they're going out and executing that. I think that's where the, the fun comes from. The fun comes from confidence. You're not, you don't feel like you win games by accident. I think this team, for what it's worth, likes each other. And they've hinted at it a couple of times. It's just like a lot more camaraderie. Like even stuff like during fall camp when the defensive line is coming over and asking Josh Fryer questions and pretending to be media members. Or every time Zach Harrison walks in the Woody when we're in there on Wednesday nights and he sees somebody getting interviewed, it's like, yeah, yeah. And he's hyping them up and doing all this extra stuff. They weren't doing a lot of that stuff last year. And so there, there is a little something to like, do you like your teammates? Do you like being around each other? Because that stuff does show up when it's time to, to play an actual game. I will say I am surprised sometimes. I think a, a, a lot of athletes these days talk about it this way, is that when they have a poor performance and they're talking about being motivated to overcome the poor performance, they often speak more of the criticism of the poor performance than the poor performance itself. That the motive, like I would say, it wasn't that people didn't talk about that the defense, the Ohio State defense needed to be better this year, but a lot of it was we know what everybody was saying about us. We're tired of people doubting us. And it's like, well, the only reason that people doubted you is because you couldn't stop the run against Oregon and Michigan in a way that caused you to lose games. And people got fired as a result, and your defense wasn't up to the Ohio State standard. It's not the criticism followed the performance. But it's often the criticism itself that's discussed as the motivating factor. And it's like, no, wanting to be better is what should motivate you. And who cares what people take? Because most of the time, and that's actually when criticism, when criticism is invalid, it falls off your back. Those people are idiots. When, you, when, when people are criticizing you for the thing in your heart and in your soul, you know you did poorly. That's when it hurts. But they end up talking, and I'm not calling out Ohio State. This is just a way in the as the social media era. It's, it's a way that athletes often talk about this, and sometimes it still surprises me. All right, we have this is not going to be that rapid. We're not going to get to everything. I'm saving. We have good stuff, people. But there's one thing that I looked up things about that we have to get to. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, actually, there's just one other thing first. Uh, 
I, cause I, I don't know who says what from the three Oh three stop starting a thought with quote, with all due respect. I realize you're not the only person who does this, but you need to find a better line than one based on a lie. Example, with all due respect to Bryson Shaw, Ohio State was a terrible defense when they had to rely on him and he can't play at the level required for Ohio State. I'm not saying everyone deserves respect or we should be bashing on athletes, but let's find a different, less disingenuous phrase. That's Ryan in Denver. Do I say with all due respect a lot? I don't know. We'd have to go back and look at the film. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know that I have probably said it on uh, probably in that very specific example about Bryson Shaw. I didn't know if there was if we say that, I don't feel like we over say that. So I'm not aware of what I say, but I mean Larry David did a whole thing about right about like with all due respect means like if you say with all respect, then you can say anything about somebody. Like with all due respect, Nathan Baird is a terrible human being, right? And then it's like, oh, it's fine, you can say it. With all due respect, Doug is an embarrassment as a podcast. I was like, oh, well, it's fine. You said with all due respect. And so, so I like agree. Noah, it's like when you say no offense, but everything that yeah. comes after the butt is what you should take offense to. Yeah. So anyway, I just, I didn't know if we were overly saying that. I, I don't think we are. But now if someone wants to like send clips of like me or Nathan or Steven saying with all due respect 10 times, I'm sure they're out there. Okay. Here's the thing that I actually want to do that is about uh, sports. So the third down conversation. This is Andy from Boston. Been listening for years, but this is my first text. It came through. I hope it works. It did, Andy. It worked. Uh, my rant this week pertains to the Buckeyes in third and short situations. I'm a bit concerned. I know putting up 77 points last weekend it was, a nearly, was nearly flawless execution, and that should assuage those concerns, but I still feel they were barely able to eke out a few third and short plays across the goal line against a MAC defensive front. I know I'm likely being a victim of the moment or misremembering, but for some reason, I feel like I had more confidence with JT Barrett and running back X doing an RPO than I do at the present. Am I completely crazy or only 93% crazy and feeling this way? Love what you gentlemen produce. Keep up the strong work. Cheers. Andy in the bean. Nathan, we kind of just had a part of this conversation about the I formation, but I did look up some third down stats that I want to get to, but just Generally, Nathan, do you think people should have concerns about Ohio State's ability to convert on third and short? I I don't really. Um, I don't know that I've we've seen it come up. Maybe you have data because I haven't like specifically looked up data about this. I know that they converted like almost all of their third downs in the last game, and a lot of them were third and short, and they were pretty successful there until you got later in the game with uh, a couple of situations, I think. But, um, you know, it's it third and short is not necessarily supposed to be a very easy thing to convert. Like, they, they know you're going to run it, and uh, they're stacking up to take that away sometimes. So sometimes it's not going to, like, look the cleanest, but if you convert it, you convert it. So, so let me do this, because I know I do this sometimes where I'll look something up and then I'll ask you guys, Hey, what do you think about this thing that you haven't had the time to look up? And then you'll say your things and I'll be like, wrong. Here's the data. So just let me give the data. They've only had five plays this year of third down and two or shorter. That's where I drew the line. Maybe it should be third and three. I don't know. On third and two. And this is with the starting offense. So I didn't include the McCord snaps because we're just trying to talk about what matters here. Third and between zero and two, they're four of five. Third and between three and seven yards, they are 11 of 16, 69%. Third and eight yards or more, they're three of nine, 33%. So it's 80% short, 69% medium, 33% long. Early, like they were in third and long a lot. They completed all, like they were like 11 of 13 on third down against Toledo. It's because they were in third and short constantly and and steven then like they did if if our friend in beantown is a little worried that like maybe mitch rossi barely got in or a mecca Booker barely got in they did get in and and i will say the, the weird thing before this week the third and shorts so they had the very first they had a third and two in the opener against notre dame and they handed it to mayan williams and they didn't get it and we were all like uh-oh and then they've converted a couple not in the red zone on cj sneaks they had a great one, Stephen, where CJ was in the shotgun, walked up behind center like he was making a call, and then took yep. the snap 
and surged ahead behind Luke Whipler and Donovan Jackson and got like, they were about a yard and a half. They got three easy. So they had, I mean, only five third and shorts in three games is not a lot. And then I think the Rossi and Agbuka are two of the others. I, Steven, like, I don't, I kind of want to see what it's going to look like when they just hand it to a running back again, not in the red zone. I maybe still have some questions about that, but we, in the red zone, we think they were pretty good at it. One, I think the numbers you presented, that's how it should be. It's like third and short should be your highest percentage. Third and medium should be your second highest. And then third and long should be your, the hardest one. Because if it's third and wrong, you're probably getting more people than the offensive line can handle when it comes to blocking, how it should be in football. I'm with Nathan. I don't have a problem with it. I The sneak stuff was interesting because I like the moments when Day brings that out because it's when he's clearly in tempo. And so it's like, okay, can we just get this yard so we can get back to what we were really doing? He did it against Nebraska in 2020. He did it with fields a lot because he did it in the, in the uh, Fiesta Bowl too when he was when he basically had Brent Venables back on his heels for that first half until they couldn't finish in the red zone. So you've got a variety of ways you can go about getting it in different situations, which I think is good. That checks off another, you know, box of can you be versatile in your run game and not just be inside zone, outside zone. I think they've, as we talked about with the I-formation stuff, they've solved some of this red zone issues. Now, yes, let's see it against more competent opponents, and we're going to get that for the next nine weeks. So we'll figure that out as well. But where things stand right now for what they've put on film and what we've seen so far it's not a concern the way it was heading into the season for me. The, uh, the Abuka one was actually third and three. So okay. I guess I wouldn't have, but, 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 you know, it, same, same difference. And I, again, they haven't had their best receiver in the, and I know that's not necessarily your first, your primary weapon on, on third and short. I understand. But like, again, that also skews the data that we've had in through, through three games, but that's still, very positive data for Ohio state. I'm trying to remember what the one that they didn't convert third and two or shorter. It, it was the mine. It was the mine one. The first one against okay. Notre Dame. they handed it to okay. mine on right. third and two. Right. And he didn't get it. Right. And it was like, cause like that's a, that's the example, right? It's like Michigan in the third quarter last year, that, which is a different kind of conversation than the red zone. Cause things change in the red zone in the middle of the field. You still have all these options. You still can throw it, but they, you know, you also want to be able to run it at times. The other thing that I found interesting, and I feel like this could be a bigger story for us, third, Ohio State makes third down irrelevant about as much as any program in the country. Right now, they are 94th in the country in the number of third downs they've had. They've only had 37. So... Not having third downs, it's one of those things, and I like stats like this. It means you're either you're either really good at offense or you're really terrible at offense. And that like you don't even have the ball and you turn it over and you can't even well, get to yeah. third down. Because you look at the bottom and there are some bad teams. And then there are also some very good teams. Like we don't even get to third down because we convert on second down. So this year they are 94th in the number of third downs. They are converting at a 62.2% rate overall. That is third in the nation. One of four teams who are over 60%. Last year, they were 120th in the nation in the number of third downs that they had. They converted at a 52.6% rate. Their rate was second. So they don't get there that much. And when they do get there, they are one of the five best teams in the country at converting it. But they don't get there that much. So we have had, Nathan, legitimate consternation at times about Ohio State and third downs, and maybe we should just let it go. (laughs) Like, maybe we're done, like, of all the things in all the land. Now, listen, they got some third and longs against Notre Dame, and even with their great passing attack, it wasn't pretty, right? They were not as good on – and it was because they were third and long. That's just basic football. Don't get in third and long. But, man, Nathan, some of this, it's like – I mean, and I'm not – you, in your bubble, and when we focus on one team, you can feel, oh, I don't know about this. And then you step back a little bit, and it's like, oh, no. They're actually great at this, and most of the time they avoid it. Whatever. Is that where we are on third downs? Is that where we are in the third and short conversation? I mean, yeah, it is until you get a third and short that costs two a, a, 
a season like they had in Michigan last year, I suppose, which is which gets back to, I think, the heart of where uh, this is one of those issues that I think our fans, our listeners, whatever, are going to have their antenna up about. I think they're and they're probably going to expect things to be even better than they absolutely have to be to kind of assuage those fears because they remember Trevon Harrison trying to get that third down conversion early in the second half against Michigan and it doesn't happen. And now you're not going to the playoff and uh, the kind of the butterfly effect, the, the buckerfly effect of, of what happened there. And, and yes, they've been good through three games, but this is maybe a different challenge. that's coming up on Friday night, Saturday night. Uh, Wisconsin has some dudes like this is probably going to be other than Notre Dame, which is the other game where they, like you said, they were in third and long more often. This is a team that's going to an opponent that's going to put some NFL dudes on the field on defense. I think this Nick Harbick guy is legit uh, outside linebacker and a guy who comes off the edge and is a threat. A um, Keanu uh, Benton, I think is his name, the defensive tackle that they have that, that people think is really strong. So they, 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 Wisconsin's always got a front seven that's that's stout and. That's something that Ohio State, these first three games are about, like, I guess, building the confidence and getting the reps to then go out and try to convert those situations against a team this good. This third and two thing is pretty much how we described Ryan Day talking about how we wanted to prove we can go out and win a game like this when it was a Notre Dame game. It's like, yeah, you did it for a quarter. That's all you got to do it for. You just got to do it on that one time where you need to get that third and two. But other than that, I think the best way to solve your third down problems is to do this. Never be on third down. That's yeah. a, that looks like an elite offense to me. Never be on third down. And when you get on third down, you you convert it. It's them in Kansas. Or, They're doing that. But also, if you're going to be on third down, you want it to be third and two. You don't want it to yes. be third and eight. So it, there's a little bit of a conundrum there. Doug, did, did you write this down? Did, or all five of those situations, were they all runs? Uh, let me double check. I will say it's like I'm terrible at lifting weights, so I don't lift weights. I avoid the problem. Uh, they had a two-yarder that Mayan only got one on against Notre Dame. They had a two-yarder against Notre Dame where um, CJ did the shotgun fake that led into a sneak. They had a another sneak against Notre Dame. So against Notre Dame, they were two of three on third and two or shorter. They didn't get it on Mayan, and then they had two CJ sneaks. Against Arkansas State, they didn't have it. Right. And then against Toledo, they were two of two. They converted one. Travion converted one on the first drive. Mm -hmm. They had a third and two, and he ran for four yards right up the middle. And then the other one was, I think, the Rossi touchdown. Yeah. The other one was the – is that right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Yes. That was a one-yard plunge. Yep. Yep. And then, like, they also then had a – Dallin Hayden had a one-yard run with the backups, and Devin Brown had a – Actually, it was a fourth and one sneak with the backups, but I'm not counting those. But if you're looking at overall stats, so this is with the starters, they're four for five. And um, four of the, of the conversions, it's two quarterback sneaks, a Travion Henderson run, and a Mitch Rossi one-yard touchdown. So does that, again, eliminate any fears of if they get a third and two in the middle of the fourth quarter against Wisconsin on you know Wisconsin's 40-yard line, can they convert it? And like we talked about, what's the play? I don't know what the play is now. Would you come out eye formation or is that less effective when you're not against the goal line? Would you try to hand it off a quick inside jet sweep to a Mecca Do you, I don't think, can you sneak it against Wisconsin from two yards? Probably not. I don't think you're handing it to Rossi for two yards. That's so that's where we back. Listen, they were the second best third down team in the country last year. and They were barely over 50%. Now that's not just third and short. Third and short, you should be a better percentage than 50-50. But we just had this entire conversation, Nathan, about like they're better at it than almost anybody else, and they avoid it more than anybody else. And if they need to pick up a third and two at midfield against Wisconsin in the second half on Saturday, I'm not sure I have great confidence in it. Well, I think it's ironic that we've had these discussions about why Mayan Williams might need the ball more. And he's the one guy that didn't convert his third and short out of that list that you read. Now, I don't remember the circumstances who didn't get a block, whatever, but I, it, it that, that is curious to me. Um, but I also think that, again, don't discount that. Again, 
this team has a lot of options on, on a third and two situation in midfield. It's not all going to be running the ball. They they haven't really incorporated um, a tight end with a pass there. They haven't incorporated just a, a quick slant to somebody to pick it up. I mean, there, there's a lot of options that we haven't seen. It's not all just about, yes, they're, Ryan Day is right that there's going to be a point in your season where everybody in the stadium and everybody watching on TV knows you're going to run the ball, which means that the other team obviously knows it and you've got to run it anyway. But uh, third and two at midfield in the second quarter with nine minutes left till halftime against Wisconsin is not that moment. They have the whole playbook open to them at that point. But I will say one of the maybe the most key third and short of the whole season was the third and three in the fourth quarter against Notre Dame on what became the icing touchdown drive and they called a pass and the first 11 options weren't there. And CJ Stroud had to float around until he could throw a miracle sideline pass to Mayan Williams. And it's, and well, well, I mean, like that's one of those things, CJ, we've had a ton of conversations about CJ creating outside the pocket. That's sort of a coin flip play on there's no structure to that. Now, all of a sudden you're, it's like, you know, playground ball, for lack of a better word, on third and three from your own 24-yard line. So, Stephen, that's one of those. That was an example. I guess I guess on third and three, you're, you're probably not handing it off there. But if, Stephen, third and two at midfield in the second half against Wisconsin, I feel like maybe they're throwing a little, a little quick ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, what do you gonna, think? Like, what are they doing? Yeah, I was getting, because I think they did it in the Rose Bowl. I think it's an RPO where it's either a handoff or Jackson Smith and Jigba's coming for a slant and CJ's, he's, he's, he's ripping that. Yeah. Cause that's probably R- your most, R- it's or, an option. It's an RPO. Yeah, it's an option to, it's a CJ, small R capital P. It's like, CJ, you can do this, but also number 11 is probably beating a safety off the line of scrimmage. So you should probably go to him. Third, the first, the, th- you think it's a pass, Nathan, like an RPO that leads to a pass? What do you think the play is third and two midfield second half against Wisconsin? Third and two or third and three? So let's do yeah, third and two. I okay. think third and three, we probably all think it's a pass. Yes. Third and two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's say, I mean, like it's a seven and a half inch difference. Third and two. What are they doing? I think a lot of time they're going to run the ball with whatever back is in the game at that point. Okay. And do you think they'll get it? Such a safe answer. I mean, we're, but we're back. We said we had this conversation before the first game. We had this conversation. I think we, a lot of us, you know, I think we kind of were on like, Oh, we just think they run it with the back in the game. And then they ran it with the back in the game and they didn't get, and they didn't get it. And they literally have really not faced that situation again since the first time it happened in the first, quarter against Notre Dame. So we don't have a clear answer on that third and two. I spent all offseason. I said, what are you gonna do on third and two? Didn't work. But yeah, I I think the fact that it didn't work against a good defense the first time they tried it this year doesn't mean you abandon it. I think they have to prove to themselves that they can do it. And the only way to do that is to get in a game and do it again. So I think that's I imagine that's what they would do again. They might not run the same exact play to the same place. I would be running behind the left side, frankly, I right now. I'd be running behind Donovan Jackson and, and Paris Johnson to get that, depending on how the field is situated at that point, maybe. But uh, that that's personally where I would go. I, I, before, I think before the year, I think I even guessed right side, but I would probably say this next one might go to the left side. Is that specific uh, enough for you? One of those things, though, it's interesting. Sometimes I, I kind of like Donovan pulling. Like Donovan, yeah. Donovan on his feet getting out. And so like we're just going to have the Jones brothers lean on people, and then here comes Donovan Jackson is – not a bad idea uh, either. So, uh, Travion had a touchdown run where they pulled Dewan Jones, and it was perhaps the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, yeah. I don't know. I might be with Nathan there and just like come left by, side, okay. left side, and pull Dewan Jones. And it's like, who wants smoke with Dewan Jones? <laughs> I do not have your first down. It's like, oh, it's like it's hard for the back because they can't. It's like driving behind a tractor trailer. Literally, like you, you can't be too close. You need to back yeah. up a little bit because you can't see the other traffic. But you might also be in 12 personnel there, too. So you're getting like some extra blocking there. Like, I, yeah. That's, yeah, I, I think they'll keep it on the ground. It, it, is it a reasonable thing for our friend who sent his first text? We just threw a bunch of stats at him. Is it a reasonable thing to still be a little uncertain about 
about it when the next third and two that matters happens against a good defense. Is that, is that okay to not yeah. be a thousand percent confident? Yeah. Just cause the one time you saw it against a competent defense, it didn't work. And all the other times with, <laughs> I almost did it. I almost said it. I almost did it. <laughs> You've played Arkansas state and Toledo and that's who you worked against and it didn't work against Notre Dame. So it's fine. If you still want to hold out, you know, your judgment until you play another, you know, power five quality defense. I almost did that with all due respect. Man, so. Oh, okay. Maybe it is yeah. you. Um, okay. Let's end it there. I will say to the people who send in questions about is the big 10 bad, a recruiting question. We, we want to have a little, we, we can figure out a time to have a little more recruiting conversation. Maybe we'll do that next week in Rutgers week and this snake bit superstars. I gotcha. I gotcha. And I also have some saved from more specific questions about the blackout, about what this Wisconsin game is going to be like. We're going to try to work some of those in on the Friday preview pod. So on Friday, we will have Nathan, Steven, and me previewing the game from a football standpoint. And then I'll be on with Tyler Shoemaker on betting the Buckeyes talking about gambling stuff. What, what kind of bets do we like on the Ohio state game and other bets around the country? So those two previews come in Friday. And of course, prime time Saturday night in Ohio stadium, the three of us will be there and we'll do a post game pod after that for now. Oh, Nathan, by the way, let's remember next week. I want, do we have the official, official, official results of who guessed the best correct starting lineup from the Notre Dame game from that market down Monday? I, I have not figured it out, but I can go back and look. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know if there's any other market down Mondays that we can double check on that would have been shown yeah, to be I'm true better. or false by now. We'll have to see. So I'll look at the, we'll, I'll look at the notes. We'll have that in mind for now for Nathan Baird and Stephen means I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk.